Hello everybody, my name is Indranil Roy, everybody calls me Indro, and I am here to take you through a journey of looking at the new world of work with a very different and a fresh lens. We call it Modern Work, and today is the first of a series of podcasts where we will be discussing what it means to be a participant in modern work, to be a protagonist in modern work, and how to thrive in modern work. With me today, I've got Ruxana Purves, my colleague in Deloitte, and somebody who has worked with me on this journey towards modern work. Welcome, Ruxana. Thanks, Indro. So great to be here with all of you. So as Indro mentioned, my name is Ruxana Purves. I'm a partner at Deloitte, and I'm also a curious learner on this journey around modern work. It's something that I believe applies, you know, not just to the audience that we're talking to, but also to each one of us. So Indra, today you and I are going to have a conversation around this notion of modern work. And I'm going to take you back to the beginning, because I think it's important for us all to understand what is this notion of modern work and where did it come from? For the longest time, we've been using this term, the future of work. You know, we see it in the articles that we read. We see it, you know, in the conversations that we're having. But now we're talking about modern work. Can you tell us a little bit about where this notion of modern work has come from and why the pivot from the future of work to modern work? Great question, Ruxana. So future of work is something that we started researching at Deloitte well before it became a, a popular term, a viral term, if you like. And what we realized over this period of six to seven years that we've been researching the future of work is that a lot of the insights that we were getting so, for instance, what percentage of jobs are going to get automated or what kind of reskilling is required to build the workforce of the future? A lot of those insights were geared towards institutions, countries, governments, agencies, companies, corporations, industries. And we felt that especially as we went through the COVID pandemic and people were struggling, I would say, to find their groove at work and adjusting to a new set of rules and a new set of parameters, we felt that we needed to say something that made sense to the individual. The average worker who is navigating his or her career, jobs, skill sets, performance in this environment of modern work. So that's why we made a pivot from future of work to modern work. The other thing, Roxana, is that the future of work is a little bit of misnomer because it's not anywhere in the far future that this is going to happen. It is happening today and we all it's all around us and COVID has accelerated it. So modern work just seemed to make a lot more sense. Thanks, Indro. So, you know, modern work could end up being another buzzword, right? Um, you know, so... I think what's important, though, is for us to understand, you know, why modern work is so different, right? What's going to make modern work stick? What's going to make me sit up and take notice of modern work, right, as an individual? Can, can you say a little bit about what's so different about modern work vis-a-vis kind of how we've been thinking about the future of work so far? So you hit the nail on the head when you said modern work could become a buzzword. And frankly speaking, that is not our intent, right? Because buzzwords very often lose a lot of their meaning because people put their own kind of label onto different things. So with that goal and with that intent in mind, we define the fairly precisely and intentionally the differences between what we consider modern work and what we consider traditional work. Now, 
These differences are being experienced at different levels of intensity and different levels of completeness in different environments. So some organizations are further down this path, other organizations are not. So I want to be careful that not everybody, not every white collar worker in every company, in every industry around the world is experiencing them the same way. But directionally, this is where we feel modern work is going to land. So the first difference is that traditional work was a hierarchy of authority. You had a clear boss, a clear function that you belong to, a mandate, a set of goals that were set at least for a year. And then you operated in that sense of authority, in a, in a, in a sense of hierarchy of authority. Whereas in modern work, you are more in a marketplace of skills. So from a hierarchy of authority to an open marketplace of skills. But navigating a marketplace of skills is actually even more difficult than navigating a hierarchy of authority. Actually, it sounds like it could be quite chaotic, right? Exactly. It can be quite chaotic if you do not understand the rules with which that marketplace operates, the written and unwritten rules. And if you don't know how to navigate through that marketplace, it can be quite daunting, especially for new workers who are coming into the workforce. So that is the first point of difference. Right. The second point of difference is very clear. And COVID has accelerated this. Traditional work used to happen in office spaces from nine to five, typically. Today, we are working from, I don't know, 24-7, literally, right? The boundaries between work and life has disappeared. And we're working from anywhere. Some of us are working from the office. Some of us are working from home. Some of us are working from a Starbucks somewhere. Yeah, you know, Indra, one of my favorite phrases right now is that work is not a place we go to anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, so I think that that's just a complete like reset of the way that we think, right? If work is no longer a place we go to anymore, then how do we think about work now? I think that's a really nice way to put it. Work is not a place to go to anymore. So how do we think about working from anywhere? What are the new skills, new abilities, new boundaries, actually, that we need to set around ourselves as individuals to be able to navigate this better? The third thing is happening with, I would say, the lifespan of jobs. So if you look at, and this is a trend that has been, that has not suddenly come upon us, but has been in the works for a long time. So if you look at the average CEO of a large Fortune 500 company, the lifespan of a CEO's job is about seven, seven and a half years. If you go one level below that, CXO, that's about four and a half years, give or take. And further below that, which is where, you know, most of us are in middle management or management or frontline management or individual contributor roles, the lifespan of each job is four years or less. So we really need to think about that in a way that allows each of us individually to plan our futures and our careers and what we want to do and how we want to be successful in the journey a lot better. Because I remember when my father did government service in India, back in India, and he would think about job lifespan as a decade, maybe, or maybe even more than that. So right now we're down to four years or less, right? So we have to be conscious of that. We have to be aware of that. And we have to use that to our advantage. We, we shouldn't feel like we are a victim of that. And actually, Indra, that might even be too long for some, right? Yes, Yes. If you think about kind of the fact that we've got five generations in the workforce today, right, and you think about our millennials and our Gen Zs, 
four years in a row probably still sounds too much, but I know that there's some science around the four years. So we'll come back to that in one of our next episodes when we actually talk about the lifespan of jobs. So you talked about three shifts. Are there any other shifts that have really kind of underpinned this thinking around modern work? Uh, Ruxana, there are, there's one more which I want to spend a little bit of time on. And it doesn't seem so obvious as the other three. And that is the move to teaming. Now, Amy Edmondson has done a lot of research around this concept of teaming. And when you look at traditional work, you can argue that, yeah, we do a lot of our work in teams and we are used to working in teams, right? We're used to collaborating in teams. But what is happening in modern work is that your team itself is changing and shifting. The members of the team are not people that maybe you have had a long history with. And you're working increasingly with an ecosystem of partners. So we're working with so many of our clients where they're working with technology partners, cloud partners, software as a service partners. So several members of your team don't even work with you in your same company. So how do you operate in that environment and how can you thrive when you have to collaborate with people maybe who were strangers till yesterday and all of a sudden you have to be in there collaborating and working on difficult problems with them, that is a huge shift. And it has happened slowly, but it is becoming very, very clear that in modern work, that is a shift that you have to master. Yeah, it's a muscle that you have to build, right? And and it, it doesn't always come naturally. I think we all like to think about ourselves as team players, right? But I think that notion of team player comes from the same people in the team for a long period of time. Right. But what you're describing is different dynamics, different people, different capabilities on an almost like regular basis. That shift is happening at a very fast pace and on a very regular basis. So how do you you build that muscle to be able to adapt to any team at any point, anywhere? That's what I hear you talking about. And not only that, you're working on multiple teams at the same time, Roxana, in modern work, right? So you have very little runway to figure people out and understand how to build a working relationship with different people in different teams. And that can be very unnerving and unsettling to a lot of people. So Indra, so we've just talked about this kind of piece around teaming, right? So, and I think what we've done so far is that, you know, we've talked about why we we have modern work, where modern work has come from. We've talked about some of the big shifts that have kind of underpinned the thinking around modern work. But modern work... It's about modern rules, right? So we have these modern rules. So can you tell me why we, we feel like we need a new set of rules? And, and, and what's the kind of notion behind a, a new set of rules that we should be working you know, alongside? Great question. Look, let me take you back to a story and something that happened with me about, I would say about three and a half years back. This is pre-COVID. All right. So I was I was with a I was doing an in-person workshop. We used to do these fun things in those days with about 100 bankers from a leading investment bank in the world. And these were the global leaders of that bank. And, you know, clearly these are individuals who are at the top of their career, very successful, very, you know, very successful financially, surely, but also very successful in many, many different ways. And I asked them a a question that I thought was a pretty straightforward question just to open up the session. So I I intended to speak for an hour and I expected this question to be discussed or for for maybe two minutes or less. 
And I asked him a very simple question. I said, can you name, give me one word to describe how you have felt at work in the last two months? One word to describe how you felt at work in the last two months. And the number one word that came up, and this was like a number one by a country mile. So probably about 70 to 75% of the audience polled said that the number one word that describes how they have felt at work over the last two months was overwhelmed. And this is pre-pandemic, right? This is pre-pandemic, yes. And this is right at the top of the house where you would expect these elite bankers to have a good control of their lives because they, they, they call the shots. They are the bosses, right? So, and then what happened was the second word was frustrating. And the third was, was anxious, overwhelmed, frustrated, anxious, something like that. And then the rest of my, all the wonderful things I had to talk about the future of work took a backseat because the entire audience wanted to discuss these three words and why they were feeling like that. And this was the first time that they looked at their colleagues and said, oh, you feel the same way? <laughs> I had no idea. I thought I was the only one who was feeling like this and everybody else was thriving <laughs> in, in this environment. So that became an open dialogue. And that is what got me thinking that if elite bankers pre-COVID at the top of their game were feeling you know, overwhelmed, frustrated, and anxious at work, not excited, not thrilled, not pumped up, then what is the hope that we have for the average white collar worker post-COVID, right? So that is the trigger for a new set of rules. And when we use the word rules, I feel a little bit nervous about that because rules are often seen as constraining instruments. They restrain and constrain you from doing things. Mm, yeah. But I hope that these rules will be empowering instruments because we need a language, a new language to understand reality around us in modern work and a new language and a new set of tactics and strategies that as, as individuals we can utilize to navigate our way through this new world of work. So that is the purpose of the 10 rules, right? And that's what it was, it was written for all of us who are listening to this podcast who might feel overwhelmed, frustrated, anxious at some points of time as we go through work. And I think that if anything, it almost, you know, the, the fact that we've just been through and, and in some cases are continuing to go through this pandemic, they're, they're the same words that we've been hearing over and over again. And, and if anything, the pandemic has just made this situation so much more acute. You know, I, I like the phrase that I hear a lot that the pandemic has impacted everybody, just not equally, right? But almost everyone that we talk to, wherever they are within the organization, top of the house, you know, entry level, you know, whichever industry they are in, this notion of feeling overwhelmed and seeking to gain back some level of control, you know, seeking to find a footing again is, is a very kind of common sentiment right now. So the one thing I am pleased about is the recent CEO survey that we did saw a little shift from overwhelmed to hopeful. So if we start to introduce these 10 rules, right, you know, at a time when people are feeling a little more hopeful, I think we might have a really interesting footing. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, I think it's time to switch on the hope again, right? And that is the whole purpose of these 10 rules to give us not just, you know, a fluffy feeling of hope, but a tangible set of guidelines that can convert that hope into reality.
Right. So I have to ask you though, why 10? Right. Is, is 10 a magic number? You know, why did we end up with 10? So that's, you know, we went with, we went through a logical way of structuring this, right? So I told you the top three words that came up in that particular session were overwhelmed, frustrated, and anxious. And then we actually went through, right through the pandemic phase, and we kept asking this question to, to leaders, managers from different industries, and we must have polled over 5,000 individuals, actually more than that, maybe closer to 10,000 individuals. And it was, wasn't a formal survey, but it was in every session, Ruxana, you remember, we have always asked that question. How have you felt at work in the last two weeks? Yes, correct. And these three themes were so consistent that we realized that we really needed to focus our attention of the rules around solving for overwhelmed, frustrated, anxious, right? So the first focus was to look at the word overwhelmed and see where is that coming from? And our hypothesis is that that word overwhelmed comes from, as you correctly pointed out, a sense of loss of control. I feel overwhelmed because I don't feel control, right? Correct, right. So we, had, we have three rules of control. That's where we start. Three rules that will help you as an individual navigating modern work to get a much better sense of control over your work and your life. Then we tackle the word frustrated and we felt that that was a symptom of a sense that I am not, I'm trying very hard. I'm working very hard. I'm putting an incredible number of hours, but I'm not necessarily making progress. Even when I make progress, I don't know how good I am, right? So we said that that is a sense of, you know, a sense of not knowing when I am being awesome. And that's why the second set of three rules are the rules of awesome. How do you feel like fulfilled? And how do you feel worthwhile and, you know, joyful every day? How do you get wins on the board every day? How do you feel awesome every day? Because in modern work, if you're not careful, you can end up in a grind every day, every week, and you're putting out a lot of output, but you have no idea whether that is making any impact. So that gave us three rules of awesome. And then we got to the point where we said, okay, if I feel in control, if I feel in awesome, then why am I anxious? And the reality is that we are anxious because we're looking at our social media feeds every day, Roxana. Right. And we look at all our friends and our, you know, classmates who we thought were, you know, less worthy than us in college. And we're looking at everybody becoming like a billionaire and running a unicorn <laughs> and, you know, raising millions and millions of dollars for their for their startups and businesses, or getting promoted to big jobs. Enter imposter syndrome. <laughs> Absolutely. So you hear that this technical term, FOMO, sits in, right? Right, right. So that is the reality of modern work, because we are open to so much information about how everybody else is doing, that we get the false sense of falling behind. Mm. And I say false sense because, you know, you may not actually be falling behind, but you get, you, you, you fear, you start getting anxious that maybe, you know, my skills are not going to be relevant going forward. Right. Maybe, you know, I'm not going to be at the top of my game because I see so many people who are much younger than me, much less experienced doing these amazing things, right? So that is why we have these three rules of growth and growth from the perspective of staying ahead of the curve, 
feeling like not only am I at the top of my game today, not only am I feeling awesome today, but five years, 10 years from now, I will continue to be ahead of the game and ahead of the curve. So that's why those three. So that adds up to nine rules, Roxana, and that's where we wanted to stop, but we couldn't help ourselves because there was this one rule that we call the golden rule <laughs> that just had to be there. And um, Well, don't give it away. Don't give it away just yet because we will talk about this golden rule as we get through the series. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. That'll come at the end. So look, it, it started off as solving for three things, overwhelmed, frustrated, anxious, nine rules for that. And then the one golden rule that addresses all three. So that's how we got to 10. Brilliant, brilliant. So, you know, one, one thing that strikes me, right? So I really, I really like the way, you know, it's been structured from the perspective of, you know, how we turn a feeling of being overwhelmed into a feeling of control, how we turn an experience of being frustrated into feeling awesome. And then how we, you know, the sentiment around being anxious around the things that are going on around us and turning that into growth, right? So as you say, I do already see very, very clearly how these 10 rules or nine so far can be incredibly empowering. And the one red thread that I see through all of this is almost a, a move or a shift from transforming these feelings in a very intentional way, not an accidental way, right? So, so what these rules are already starting to give me a, you know, a positive feeling around is that I have to be intentional, right, around converting being overwhelmed to a sense of control, being frustrated into a sense of awesome or being anxious and having kind of that control over growth. So it's very, very intentional, right? Versus waiting for something to happen, you know, in the world out there, which feels accidental, but gives me the same kind of outcome. Yeah, I like that word intentional. And I would add another word to that, which is personal, right? So yes, it is about intent and doing things thoughtfully, planfully, understanding reality as it is, not the way that we want it to be, right? And then having doing certain actions with intent that really help us navigate. But it also has to be personal. Why do I focus on the word personal so much? I see, I mean, you look at this trend that is happening today around the great resignation, the great reset, etc. And all of the, if you look at the surveys, you look at the data that is coming out, people are saying, look, I feel these negative emotions about my work and workplace and everything around me. I might feel overwhelmed, frustrated, or anxious or some combination. And then I'm trying to figure out another environment, another company, another job where these feelings are going to go away. That's why people are jumping. That's why people are quitting and going elsewhere. And lo and behold, when they go to that elsewhere, they realize these feelings have not gone away, right? It's just changed the furniture in the room, right? It's changed the context of my job. But for the most part, I'm still continuing to feel these feelings. So the message that we want to give to everybody is that before you start thinking about everything else that's happening around you, your manager, your team members, the work kind of work that you're doing, the context, the culture, the policies in the company, start looking inside. Make it personal, because even if nothing else changes around you, your company remains the same, culture remains the same, boss remains the same, there are lots of things that you can take agency off. So that personal agency is, I think, a big part of the hope that we want to bring to the table, right? Right. Otherwise, what, what will happen is people will look at this and go, okay, but you know what? These rules are great, but I cannot apply them in my company. I won't be allowed to. My boss will not, 
you know, take these seriously. But that's why we wrote the 10 rules in a way and we put it through that test, Roxana, to say, you know, can we hand on heart say that these 10 rules can be applied no matter what the context is, no matter what kind of culture you are in, no matter what kind of boss you have, right? Each of these 10 rules passes that test, that you can take personal agency, you can take control of certain small things that changes you can make around you that help you navigate better. Right. So Indro, tell me how I'm supposed to consume these 10 rules, right? We haven't even revealed what the 10 rules are yet, right? But before we go to that point, before we actually go into the rules, I think it'd be helpful to understand how I should consume these, right? So, you know, which lens should I be applying as I'm, you know, listening to the 10 rules and unpacking the 10 rules? I think for most of the audience, it has to be at a level of what can I do with this in my life, right? I think that for most of the professionals that we have shared these 10 rules with, they have immediately caught on to, all right, rule number two and rule number six is something that I can actually start using right away, right? So that goes back to being very personal, right? Very personal. So it is, It is. how does it impact me? It's me, 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 right? So what's <laughs> in it for me? And let's focus on that. That is the default setting for the 10 rules. It's meant to work for you, no matter which kind of company you're in, what level you're at. Okay. The second lens that you can think of it if you're, let's say, if you're a manager, if you're a team leader, right, then you can say, all right, so how can I use this to make my team experience more joy, more fulfillment in modern work, right? Right, right. So you you can use it at the team level. And I surely do. Within my team, there are a lot of these rules that we actually apply. I love that my team members are are not only taking these rules at an individual level, but applying it to their project teams, to their communities, etc. The third lens, and a lot of our audience will be from, I guess, an HR background, a human capital background, or an institution, anything like, you know, head of transformation, perhaps, or the transformation team in a, in a company. And there is a natural inclination for that audience to consume it as, okay, so what can we do at a company level, right? And I would say... There are lots that you can do at a company level, but before you jump to that lens, maybe spend a little bit of time at the personal level first. Make sure that it works for you individually. Make sure it works for your immediate team members. And only when you've applied that will you gain that deeper understanding of these rules so that you can apply them appropriately at the company level. So that is the progression that I would see. Okay. So there are some rules to how you use the rules, right? So start with yourself first, right? Internalize the rules, understand what they really mean for you, because that gives you a very personal view of the rules. Then you can really start thinking about, well, how do you then use these rules to create better team experiences? And ultimately, they could lead to some more kind of organizational wide kind of experiences or solutions that you might think about, you know, implementing or crafting right, to, to make things better at the holistic level, right? But starting with yourself first, internalizing what they mean, picking those one or two that really, really make sense for you. I have some favorite rules. I'll tell you about those in one of the upcoming podcasts, but there are a couple there that definitely resonate for me. And then kind of thinking about how you can use them from there. Yes. Okay, so I wanna kind of just wrap us up for today. I think what we have done really nicely is positioned, you know, why have we made this shift from thinking about the future of work to modern work? We've also talked about some of the big shifts that kind of underpin 
if you like, our, our thinking behind modern work. And one of the things that I really, really like about, you know, the, the rules of modern work is that it's really a combination of, you know, learnings and research from lots of different places, right? So you mentioned Amy Edmondson, you know, we'll also find things in there from Daniel Pink, we'll see things in there from John Stepper. So actually, I feel really good about the fact that modern work is really taking the best of a lot of amazing thought leaders, right? And bringing that together into a perspective that you can use for yourself in a very tangible way. We've also uncovered, right, the fact that we've got three rules around control, three rules around being awesome, and three rules around growth. And then there's a golden rule, which will be revealed in due course. And we've talked about how to consume these rules. So as we move forward, our next podcast is actually going to take us into the first three rules of control. So if you're interested in moving from this sense of being overwhelmed into a place where you feel you have a little more control, you know, around how you show up, what you can do, then stay tuned for our next podcast where we're going to unpack the first three rules of control. Indro, thank you. And looking forward to talking to you again for our next podcast. Thank you, Roxana, and looking forward indeed. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Thanks.